This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. Coming up, an interview with Chang Ray Lee, author of the novel My Year Abroad. For me, writing is a bodily experience. When I'm writing, I think something, whether it's good or not, I don't know, but if I feel like I'm writing and connecting up with something actual and real, I start to sweat. I start to shake a little bit. We'll be back with Chang Ray Lee in just a bit. First, I want to say to you, thank you for listening. The episode you're about to tune into represents the continuation of close to eight years of dedication and perseverance for producing this show. In addition to conversations that go into depth about a writer's work and obsessions and craft, This show and every interview it features aims to embody the values of honesty, vulnerability, curiosity, and connection. I invite you to join me in this journey as a First Draft patron, which gives you access to cuts from the interviews that didn't make it to the final show, ad-free, pitch-free episodes, and a monthly newsletter. In addition, there are surprise thank you gifts that I offer when you enroll as a patron and spontaneous mailings like a bookmark all my patrons received this January, embedded with flower seeds. You can become a supporter by going to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash firstdraftwriters. Any amount is welcome, but for $6 a month, you receive thank you gifts on a monthly basis. Plus, when you donate to First Draft, you are joining the community of writers and readers who support conversations like the one you are about to hear. With your donation, you are saying yes to continuing the space of honesty, vulnerability, curiosity, and connection that each show reaches to achieve. I assure you, even $6 a month makes a huge difference to me in the production of this show. So why not make today the day to show your support? Why wait? Beat the odds of having to listen to this seven times before you join the First Draft community. Go to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. Please stay tuned. At the end of the show, I'll offer recommendations on an episode in the archive that is similar to the one you're about to hear. And please rate the show on iTunes and tell everyone you know to subscribe. Thank you for being here with me today, right now, in this moment. And on to the show. My guest today is Chang Ray Lee, author of six novels, including Native Speaker, A Gesture Life, Aloft, The Surrendered, which was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, and On Such a Full Sea, which was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award and won the Heartland Fiction Prize. He has also written stories and articles for The New Yorker, The New York Times, Time, Granta, and Food and Wine, among others. His latest novel, My Year Abroad, tells the story of Tiller, a college dropout with minimal aspirations, who crosses paths with the larger-than-life Pong Lu, a Chinese immigrant who is creative and alluring and a powerful businessman. Pong takes Tiller under his wing to help with a new business enterprise in Asia, but things go very wrong for Tiller, and he ends up in situations that seem to have no escape. The story is told with two primary narratives— Tiller's adventures and travels with Pong, and then Tiller's life afterward, in which he is looking back at his past while also living in the present with his girlfriend and her son, who are both in the Witness Protection Program. We began with Chang Ray Lee sharing what propelled him to write My Year Abroad. Well, it was absolutely the character of Pong, the Chinese businessman who 
guides uh, the narrator, the novel. And and I had met uh, uh, a fellow when I was living in Princeton who really was the inspiration for Pong's character. And I met a, a couple guys like him, but he was the main one. And and this was a fellow who uh, just struck me as just a, a, a new sort of immigrant, a new kind of figure on the scene. He, you know, this Chinese guy, you know, came to this country uh, later in his life, you know, not as a kid, little kid, you know, he came as, uh, you know, in his 20s, but someone who uh, had so many different kinds of talents, interests, who was wildly ambitious, uh, and not necessarily for money, just, just curious and energetic, um, looking for opportunities to start businesses and to help people. And, and I just loved his, his pluck. And um, he's just kind of this irrepressible charisma and, and a certain kind of, I would say, bravery. You know, he just, he, you know, like most immigrants who come over, as, as, as my parents were, you know, we're all sort of, you know, we don't have a safety net, we're very anxious, you know, we're maybe don't have a community and feel alone. And, and, and he just struck me as a very different sort of person. You know, he, he was confident and, you know, I asked him to tell me about his life and, and we got to be friendly and uh, he told me all these stories, some of which I, you know, kind of used for the novel and, and uh, so I said to myself, I definitely want to write a book about this guy, a new kind of immigrant story. But then, but then of course, uh, you know, as, as all novels, the, the, the writing of novels goes, it, it changed and, and evolved. And eventually I decided, well, I, I wanted to write the story of someone who was inspired by this fellow. And, and so came up with, of course, uh, this younger narrator. So the fundamental structure of My Year Abroad is you go back and forth between these two storylines. One is with Pong, and we'll explain a little more about this character in a minute. And the other one is Tiller. And you open with Tiller, and he is a college dropout, very, very bright. And he was needing money, and he ended up working with a friend as um, a caddy for at a very wealthy club, and that's where he met Pong. But Tiller, when we meet him in the beginning of the book, is living in a no-named place that, with a woman who he met named Val, um, he calls the place Stagno because Val is in the witness protection program, and he she is much older than him, and they have a relationship, and she has a young son, and you sense that he just came out of something really intense and big and that he's with Val, a little bit rudderless. Do you want to talk a little bit about Tiller and who he is? Yeah, you know, the, there are two storylines here, as you mentioned. And, and so he has this grand adventure, uh, as he says, tasting from life's grand buffet uh, that Pong takes him on. Pong is a businessman and they travel to Asia, meet lots of people, and lots of things happen to them. And uh, so that's the, the past storyline. And the present storyline is exactly what you describe, which is he finds himself kind of hiding with this woman named Val and, and her son, Veach. And, you know, the, I, I guess one of the reasons why I wanted to have the two stories was I, I wanted to explore the aftermath of all his travels, as you say, it sounds as if it's, it had been a harrowing time and it was, 
And, and he's just trying to figure that out. He's trying to figure out who he is. And, and of course, you know, as a novelist, I always want to place my characters in, in situations that will expose and tease out all the things they need to be, that need to be teased out about them and their psyche. And, and I, I wanted him to be in a position of, you know, kind of responsibility and, and put himself in this kind of, you know, artificial family, but a family that, that, um, that is, you know, growing in, in terms of his interest and, uh, and his devotion. And Tiller is the narrator, and we learn about his past where he, his mother left his family. He's, I think, one-eighth Asian, but has never identified with that side of him until he meets Pong. And I found that this, this story was so much about identity and loneliness. I mean, he has that wound from his mom leaving, but it's also his father and his relationship is it's kind and it, they speak to each other, but he also just, they have such a, a kind distance, I guess you could say. Yeah. They're not, they're not, you know, I think there's a, a section in the book where he says it would be easier if my dad were like a mean drunk and beat me and <laughs> that we could just, I could have more friction with him and, and that uh, somehow, you know, that would be, uh, that would define their relationship, you know, in, in a more sort of, you know, typical way. But, but they, yeah, they have a kind of, uh, you know, just, just a anodyne kind of dynamic. And, um, but I think what Tiller finds is that he, he, and he calls himself this, he, he kind of feels like he's orphaned. And, and certainly of course, because his mother's um, absence, which is a huge gulf, um, in his life. And, and I think he's, he's definitely someone who has this emptiness that, that he's, you know, he doesn't talk about his mom a lot during the book in the course of the novel, but, but he returns to her regularly and with these little snippets of memory and, and feeling. And, and he's definitely, I think, part of his journey outwards is to try to fill that void and to try to figure out, you know, how, how do you go on with, with this feeling in your life. Um, and maybe that's why he's so, you know, figuratively and sometimes literally hungry for things uh, in, in his travels. And, and Pong, of course, is the one who, who uh, facilitates a lot of that consumption. <laughs> some, of, some of Tiller's lines in the very beginning of the book that you gave to him were really remarkable and allowed me to really understand where he was, but also they were memorable in a way that when I got to the end of the book, I really could tell his journey, like his interior journey. So you say in the beginning when he's talking about living with Val, because there's such a an age difference between them, they don't talk about their past really hardly at all. They're just kind of living in the moment. And because she's under, um, she's in witness protection, they don't go out, they order in, they watch TV a lot, they... Um, they homeschool Vij, the the young boy, and he says, "I do love her, and that's that." But sometimes I think I love the world more. And he also says, "If you're willing to die for too many things, does it mean you care way too much or way too little?" So you know that he's in this, like he's not in an interstitial space, but in a way he is. Yeah, I do think he is. He's he's um, 
you know, he, he has so much, you know, this, this smoldering passion for, for something. And that's why he says, you know, do it, can you love the world too much? And, and such a big, strange idea, right, to love the world, especially this kid, <laughs> because he doesn't know anything about the world. Um, but I guess it's more about hope. You know, he, he wants, I, I think, that idea of, of having so much passion for something. I think he hopes he can have that. And, 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 and Val is a way, after everything that has been, that he's experienced, witnessed, endured, you know, out, out on the planet uh, with Pong, um, maybe, maybe what, he's, what he's able to, to savor a little bit with, with Val is that, yeah, you know, the, I have experienced life, you know, that, that um, so much of, and this is something that the, I think the book is interested in. It's something, it, it's, it's an idea that, that, that we re- remember, we understand, we feel um, with our bodies, maybe first. Um, you know, we are such cerebral, we have so much cerebral capacity, but, but memory is a bodily thing too, isn't it? And, and somehow he's, he's, he's put himself and he's willing to put himself in positions where, you know, he, he has literally sensations and, and, and is trying to maybe gain some wisdom from those things. That's so interesting that you say that because I've been thinking about in my own life when I have some trouble sometimes knowing what to do or where to go, I've started to ignore my head and my heart and listen to my body. And mm. I've, I'm in a phase of my life where my body's leading me to some decisions, not to get too out there, but I'm just wondering if you have that experience too. And if that is part of your writing. In fact, I think it always has been part of my writing in previous novels. I've, I've written in, um, in certain books about very weighty historical things, you know, war, uh, sexual slavery, you know, deep kind of moral reckoning. I think my approach to those things, and 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 even though this book is entirely different in tone, it's it's you know, much more humorous and and profane and kind of wild. But I think in all my books, there's an interest in placing people in in moments and then kind of assaying them afterwards. And, and having them re- reckon through just the, the viscera and watching how they both accept that sensation and then also don't trust it sometimes, uh, try, to, try to deny it. And I think in this book, it was sort of thought experiment for me to put someone like Tiller in positions where he increasingly just accepted everything, that he was this sponge that he was so vulnerable literally and 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 I wanted to see how far he could go in you know whatever passion idea philosophy that that could that could lead him to and and I guess I I've always felt that way I mean for me writing is a bodily experience when I'm writing I think something whether it's good or not I don't know but if I feel like I'm writing and connecting up with something actual and real, I start to sweat. I start to shake a little bit. You know, I feel strange and out of myself. Um, 
And you think, of course, I'd be thinking about language, I'm thinking about all, you know, tropes and all these. And maybe that's going on in the background, but the actual moment of that writing is absolutely and, and exclusively physical. It's, it is strange. Uh, and that's maybe the, the sense that I wanted to have for the reader in this no- of this novel and, and certainly for the characters. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Tiller meets Pong, and Pong is just a, a guest at at the at the golf club, and then Pong sees something in him and calls him up, and they meet at a yogurt store that Pong owns, and he learns more that Pong is this immigrant. He has this family, this wife that he loves. He's He's exuberant for life. He, I picture him with a ponytail, and I don't know if you wrote that or if that's just in my head. <laughs> I think that's in your head because <laughs> I do. I do make. I do give a description of his very strange hair. He has a very strange head of hair, <laughs> but not a ponytail. I think I put his. I remember his. His hair is like wild and crazy, and I yeah, yeah. put it in a ponytail. So there you go. <laughs> and and he he has all these businesses going on and he sees something in Tiller that I think awakens in Tiller his own sense that that more is possible and that he can get there. Like sometimes you're just going through your life just kind of hoping something will happen so that it connects. And then there's Pong, who is fundamentally charitable. That's that's what Tiller saw in him. That even though he has all these businesses, it wasn't necessarily about money. It was, it was sort of like a charity with the world, and it was almost like a, like an orgy with the world, like in a good way, like a loving of the world and bringing it in and seeing what he could create. Yeah, and bringing people together, and that's that's the 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 kind of style and energy of the personality of the fellow he's he's based on and 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 almost like a public service you know you say charity yeah it's it's something like that but for for tiller um it's exciting because uh he he sees something in pong that he wants to hook on to and he i think he immediately feels i can learn something from this man and you know, the inscription and dedication of this novel um, uh, is for my teachers. That's, you know, I, and I always thought that this is an, also a novel about mentorship and, and what someone, uh, you know, a gifted teacher can do. It's not just, you know, transferring knowledge. It's not really that at all. It's, it's about someone believing in you more than you ever believed in yourself. And uh, with the idea that we all have these amazing capabilities we all have you know such remarkable potential in in some ways we don't know and uh and i i guess i truly believe that and um but but that's the kind of relationship that that i wanted to explore and and to to have tiller you know seduced in the best way um because he's seduced by his own you know possibility 
and and of course that means connecting up with you know the the larger possibilities of of what's out there in the world and and how wonderful and glorious it can be of course he finds out that it can also be quite dark and harrowing <laughs> but that's the world you know i wanted him to to taste all of that he goes on this big adventure with pong so he he ends up pong brings him into his world, invites him into his home, invites him into his international business world and ends up bringing him to Hawaii and Asia, um, primarily under one of his businesses where they're making this drink kind of like a, an Indonesian from the, from the local shaman type of drink. I picture it like the next craze, like kombucha or something. And it's like a health tonic, right? Yeah. And so that's the world he's entering and going to help Pong in. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about the structure of, of why you decided to tell it sort of in these chapters that where you're in Tiller's home life with Val, which has its own story, which we can talk about, and then his adventures with Pong. There, it definitely added tension and suspense. And I'm wondering about your choice of the structure and if that came to you easily. Yeah, people asked about these two stories. Essentially, they're kind of two novels. And same character of Tiller, but of course, um, you know, the the, the storylines come one after another. What I wanted to do, though, was um, present them simultaneously so that the chapters alternate. Because I like the feeling that, that you would be reading uh, each story and feeling like each story was happening right now and moving forward right now. Um, but of course, one story in many ways depends on the other story. Um, and so I like that interplay and I like that. I like the way that it forces, it forced me to think about, and I hope that it forces the reader to think about, or, or, you know, invites the reader to think about the ways in which his education, as it were, uh, is moving along and is developing, uh, given say something he said or did here, uh, or witnessed and that in his present time life with Val and her son, where it's not just uh, safe and secure, but in fact uh, fraught with um, a lot of uh, growing anxiety and growing danger, uh, that that he would be able to, um, you know, sort of find some kind of strength and wisdom uh, to to work his way through it and and to save them all. Um, I, 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 you know, originally had the, as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, my, my first idea was just to write about Pong. And if I just stuck with that, I would have just had just a straight story about his life and, and which I do go into, but, but it would be just, you know, this one story, but, but for me, this is a story about an education. This is a story about the gaining of wisdom. And not that every story isn't, but but this is more more explicitly so. And and so I did want to alternate the, the chapters and 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 have you know the, the the kind of accrual of of fact, knowledge, incident, um, you know, in real time for the reader, um, so that so that they could start adding it up too. One thing you did in in Tiller's. In the chapters that are more centered on Tiller's home, he 
you do it, I think, first on page 32, but you might have done it before that, where he kind of talks to the reader. He says, again, he had that thick accent that you should hear from now on and that I won't point out too much again. And he's sort of breaking a wall in a way. I mean, he is the narrator. He's first person. It's clear. He's a story, but it kind of dips up and down with such a straight on storytelling and then going deep into just the narrative dream. And I wondered about that. Well, I like to do that. I, I like to break that, that, uh, you know, third wall. And it, for me, it, it, it reminds us and, and maybe it's just something that, that fascinates me is that, yes, we want to be suspended in this continuous dream of a story that, that, you know, that, that, that this is real and that this is, this is the universe I want you to live in. But I think it's always refreshing um, to, for, the, for the narrator or for the narration to be a little self-conscious. And, and maybe that's a more you know, contemporary thing. But, but my sense about it is, is that it actually uh, gives another angle and facet of psyche uh, to the narrator. Because he's he's really engaging you, you know. He he's he's asking you to 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 not just sit back and watch, but to participate um, in um, and I hope a more active way. And and that to me is the kind of I guess secret dialogue that happens between a narrator and a reader. Um, that that there isn't just the story, um, but that there's this this undercurrent of, um, it's not friction, but undercurrent of just a little different kind of energy uh, that, that keeps both kind of uh, on their toes and, and it keeps both alert uh, and ready. And, and I, I just like that energy. And I think it, I think it adds to um, you know, the, the, the building of character and, and also the reading experience. I think it brings a dimensionality also with time I mean, it's kind of complex because when you open the story, Tiller's in the moment, but he's also, everything that's happened has already happened. So you're kind of shifting back and forth. And then when he talks to you, it's like there's this present. And and you wonder where he is, right? I mean, he's, because everything's happened. He's, he's, or, or you think everything's happened. Maybe I should back up. But it's in fact happening right now. <laughs> you know, he's he's actually in true present tense, even though he he narrates the story in past tense. Val and I did this. Val and I do this. Did the, you know this happened yesterday? So you're you're kind of you know riding herd with him, but and and I think that that you know that presence, that positioning is kind of exciting. Um, and it just, it, it's again, another layer of suspense and another layer of wondering. And I've done that before in first person, um, not as much maybe as I do in this novel. And I think that's partly to do with who, who I feel Tiller is. You know, he's someone who is not uh, circumspect. He's not, he's not tethered really uh, as a narrator and as a teller. Uh, he, he, he really does want to just, you know, go this way and this way and the other way. And which is, a, you know, funny for a guy named Tiller, but, but he, he, 
he's his directionality i think is in every in is in every vector um uh, and space and uh and for me that's that was one of the things that i i immediately thought i liked about him and wanted to explore as you know and when i was conceiving the book this is a little off topic but i feel like if i was going to ever give out a literary award for the best description of vomit you would get it <laughs> i i've thought about vomit a lot and i think i think a lot of people think about vomit a lot <laughs> maybe that's just me but, but but um and maybe maybe it's um it's it's funny because you know th- this is something that uh i kind of knew that he would have to vomit in this in this in this story at some point soon and early in the story, um, and it, it and it's precisely because you know he's someone who is trying to stuff everything in and without really knowing why. Uh, and I knew that, and I knew that of course you know you always have to have the uh, the, the typical you know, reaction or response to that. And uh, so I knew that that there would be some emetic action here. Do you want to read it? What interest in vomit do you have? (laughs) I I just thought that that description was incredible. I mean, I I think about like writing students in a class and the teacher saying, you know, describe vomit or describe a sunset and how, I mean, vomit probably is not in books as much as sunsets, but you're always <laughs> trying to find like unique ways to tell a story that everyone has had. All right. Well, and he vomits earlier when he, after he first meets Pong, cause uh, you know, when they sample all the yogurt early in the story, he has too much. And, but this is, um, um, you know, when Vige, uh, the little boy uh, vomits, and that's when we heard a funny noise, curiously not unlike an whoop. And Vige, on his knees, barfed right in his path. Plash. Before anybody could react, it smacked us hard. The stink. In a word, it was bad. Like a durian shake, shampooing could be bad. A cheesy and bilious lathering that made you want to behead yourself and pickle your skull and paint thinner and torch it until it was a shrunken ball of tar. Or something like that. <laughs> Did you get the sweats in your body because you knew you had something there? <laughs> well, you know, I maybe because again, and going back to the corporeal, um, you know, aren't we the most the aren't we such beings where we're we have such mastery over over you know our thoughts and we can create such things, but. But when we uh, certain bodily functions, and this is maybe you know one of the most basic ones, you know, one of survival, really, right? Um, that that it just shakes you to your core, and you know, you want to die, you want to cry, you want to laugh, um, and it's and it's horrible, but it's it's so human, and um, and that's what for me, you know not just this scene, but other scenes in the novel. I just, after I wrote them, I'd say, you know, I, it is so human how we do these things. <laughs> and, and in fact, you know, it, it leads to some kind of enlightenment too. <laughs> I mean, don't we feel a little bit enlightened when, <laughs> after, after doing something like that? 
And speaking of the body, I mean, basically what happens is when when Tiller goes to Asia and they finally land at this place where they're going to make these these drinks, Pong leaves and he ends up doing two things, working, working really hard, making making some food and also having a ton of sex with this woman named Constance who has some really interesting desires in the bedroom. Yes. Do you want to yes. talk about about that and the, the physicality of his life there? Yeah, well, she, you know, he goes, of course, and he's a young fellow and, and she's a young woman. And, and, you know, in any novel, when two young people meet and they seem to have an attraction, of course, uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna get entangled the problem here and the the difference here for for tiller and what i wanted for him was that you know he he didn't quite know what he was getting into in you know in the project of the whole trip and adventure but uh but um more locally with with this young woman constance who has a real kind of interest in and a curiosity uh about the body and particularly certain parts of the body. I mean, I'll leave it at, at the idea that, you know, she's sort of an amateur urologist. <laughs> and, and, but, but of course, it's, uh, it's, it's not prurient. It's just, it's just something about her that, that she just, and this, he talks about this, and I hope it's not just, you know, some lurid sex scene, but, but a scene about a certain kind of obsession and a certain kind of, OCD um, uh, focus and fascination, and and that's I think you know what I really wanted to introduce to Tiller um, that that and 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 you know that their sex life does go into other uh, areas, um, food and um, a certain kind of I guess you know um, a bondage I suppose, but but. Um, but but again, I I I hope that that uh, that this was of course sexy, but also eye opening about um, about what people really really are. You know what 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 they're really like. Um, you know to give shape to uh, to the the absolute fascination that that people have for one another, uh, which is really a fascination in itself. I think there's there's also a lot towards the end about mortality, about our inability to face our mortality mm-hmm. and, and sometimes our decision to want to exit this earth before we're really meant to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's there are two urges in the book in two in the two different stories, um, as you mentioned, one where, you know, facing up to the end is something that um, one of the characters just, you know, he just doesn't want to do um, he, and, and cling to the idea of extreme life, uh, extreme, you know, the, uh, uh, the duration of life um, because life is so incredible. Um, and, and of course that's been from, from, from the beginning of time, I'm sure, you know, right. We want that. We, we're always looking for that elixir. Um, but the other side of that, and, and this is, you know, this is something about the realm and, and about existence that the book, um, I think constantly tries to remind 
Azov, is that uh, with everything wonderful, with with all this, you know, the idea of of immortality is 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 the the very adjacent, the very close idea that it, we just that you can't go on and that you don't want to go on. <laughs> that that persisting is is too much, too painful, too anxious, um, and. Uh, uh, so it's this, you know, this, it, it's always been this dance uh, between, right, you know, Eros and Thanatos and, and, um, and, but they're so close together. Um, they're twins. And, um, and I think, and I think that's what makes life so special is that, you know, we're, we're alternating between those two things, sometimes in a moment. I found by the, the end I really felt that T Tiller found so much more of himself. I thought he became so much more grounded and really found his agency. Do you? I think he's forced to, and you know, maybe he's, he's still himself. He's still someone who's a little bit, you know, he's reluctant. Um, you know, that's just his nature, but, but he realizes that, it's just he can't be reluctant when it matters and when it really, really, really matters. And, and, and I think that's maybe agency enough. I don't think he's, I don't know that he's fully taken, he'll ever fully take command, but, but, but I guess when the moment called for it, um, and maybe this is what he's learned from Pong and all their travels is, yeah, he can step up. Maybe he won't make, maybe he won't do it. Maybe he won't succeed, but, but he'll stand there and maybe deliver. And, and that to me is, you know, is um, something that uh, is very, I think it's a very frightening prop proposition. You know, it's, it's one that we people face every day in our lives, with our families, with our jobs, with our, you know, lovers, but uh but it's it, it it's it's a difficult one because gosh you you know to to do that to stand up and maybe and maybe put everything on the line uh, with everything on the line oh gosh uh, that's that's quite a moment. Did you learn anything about yourself or writing um, over the course of writing this book? I think well I I think I learned things about myself with each book and, and this one in some ways I would say is perhaps my most personal book. Um, not that it's autobiographical, but there's something about Tiller. There's something about his yearning. There's something about the way he, he thinks and, and the, the kind of, peregrinations of his of his mind and his heart that is um maybe is closer to me than to just me and you know my everyday just being uh than than any of my other books and maybe because those other books you know do deal with such big issues that i cared about and um and you know just forging you know a certain kind of you know world and narrative and but this one, I think, um, maybe I learned that something about connecting up with stuff that's that's just the everyday me, 
which in some ways I didn't really want to explore uh, in my fiction. <laughs> I mean, all my fiction is about me, of course, in some ways, but but the, not the maybe not the everyday me, and that's something different. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little scary too. Can you read a passage from an author that speaks to you or influenced you as a writer? Oh yeah, um, this is from Ernest Hemingway's collection *In Our Time*, which I think is one of the great collections of American short fiction. And there are lots of different stories, but then in between the stories, there's the little scenes of a, a quote-unquote novel. Uh, about wartime, uh, his wartime experience. And these, these uh, sections really, I remember as a you know, teenager, they really affected me. This is chapter five, and this is the whole chapter. They shot the six cabinet ministers at half past six in the morning against the wall of a hospital. There were pools of water in the courtyard. There were wet dead leaves on the paving of the courtyard. It rained hard. All the shutters of the hospital were nailed shut. One of the ministers was sick with typhoid. Two, shoulder, two soldiers carried him downstairs and out into the rain. They tried to hold him up against the wall, but he sat down in a puddle of water. The other five stood very quietly against the wall. Finally, the officer told the sh- soldiers it was no good trying to make him stand up. When they fired the first volley, he was sitting down in the water with his head on his knees. And I, you know, after reading that, I was, I was just uh, kind of blown away and, and very emotional about it, uh, I remember. And, and thinking it was just this little scene that was just so horrible, so terrifying, and so, you know, so human, too. That was something that, that I, I've held on to. Can you read a passage that you wrote, maybe it was tricky or hard, or changed a lot from the first draft? Well, I could read the first paragraph of My Year Abroad, uh, which was quite different. I won't say where I am in this greatish country of ours, as that could be dicey for Val and her XL little boy, Victor Jr. But it's a place like most others, nothing too awful or uncomfortable, with no enduring vistas or distinctive traditions to admire, no funny accents or habits of the locals to wonder at or find repellent. Call it whatever you like but I'll refer to it as Stagno. For while it's definitely landlocked here, several bodies of murky water dot the area. There's a way that the days here curdle like the gunge that collects on the surface of a simmering broth. Gunge, you must constantly gunge away. That paragraph was a lot longer um, in its other form, uh, other iterations. And, um, and, and although I liked um, some of the things that I wrote, uh, and I liked the the windiness of, of that longer version, um, it took me a while to kind of understand that um, uh, I was uh, I don't know getting getting caught up in the eddies, as it were, and and not really getting uh, to the point which which I think you want to do at the beginning of a book, <laughs> not the point that that is so obvious, but, but just a kind of, um, uh, a point of, of focus and, uh, and maybe that word, those words gunge are, are the right words that, that I finally found and, and wanted to, to highlight. Where do you write? I have a home office and, uh, my apartment here and, uh, and I just, that's where I do my work. Nowhere else. Sometimes when I travel, but 
I, I never get a lot of work done when I travel. What do you do or where do you go to get away from writing? I like to exercise. Uh, writing is very, um, it's very static in certain ways. Uh, it's bad for my back. And so I like to, I like to cycle or shoot baskets and do other things. Who do you show your work to first to get feedback? I show my work to my editor and my wife. And simultaneously, I, I don't, um, I don't do that midstream. I, I finish a draft and, and then that's when they see it. How have you dealt with rejection? Well, I, my first novel that I wrote was unpublished and uh, definitely rejected. And um, it was uh, very difficult for me. But what I did realize um, back then was that I basically redoubled my efforts after that rejection. And, and, and I think that made me realize how much I wanted to write. Uh, even in my lowest moment, feeling um, ignored and, and misunderstood. Uh, I wanted to write again. And, and so I think that's what rejection told me. And what is your favorite word? Oh, I think it's probably life. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Okay, thanks a lot, Betsy. You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing. My guest was Chang Ray Lee, author of the novel My Year Abroad. If you like today's show, check out my interview with Adam Johnson, whose short story collection, Fortune Smiles, delves into tales about love and loss, natural disasters, the influence of technology, and how the political shapes the personal. You can find that interview and the entire First Draft archive of 300 interviews at firstdraftwriters.com. You can stay tuned to First Draft on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for First Draft A-D-O-W. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com anytime. Remember, there are plenty of extras for becoming a member and donating to First Draft, including access to pitch-free, ad-free content, as well as cuts from the interviews that didn't make it into the final show, writing tips from my guests, books, and more. Join me as I reach for honesty, vulnerability, connection, curiosity, and insights on craft with each episode. I can't tell you enough how much each and every single dollar counts to keeping the show alive. The first tier of support is just $6 a month. So please go to www.patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. Coming up in the next few months on First Draft, interviews with Viet Tan Nguyen, Anna North, Mbolo Mbue, and Leila Alamar. I want to send out a huge thank you to my patrons for making this interview happen. Your support makes First Draft a dialogue on writing a reality every week. Please stay healthy and safe. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm your host and producer, Mitzi Rapkin. Thank you for listening.